The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. Now, what a way we've decided to mark St. Bridget's Day by talking about the Bad Bridgets. A new book, Bad Bridget, Crime, Mayhem and the Lives of Irish Emigrant Women, based on the celebrated Bad Bridget podcast series. And I'm delighted that we have Dr. Elaine Farrell and Dr. Leanne McCormick with us to talk about the Bad Bridgets. And there are many of them, Elaine, aren't there? There seems to be hundreds of thousands of them based on some of the stories you tell in this book. We literally have found thousands um, of Irish women who were up to all sorts um, after they migrated. Um, and we're specifically looking at New York, Boston um, and Toronto. When you say all sorts now, murder, mayhem, prostitution, drinking. Yes, it, it ranges from that kind of drunkenness or petty theft right up to serial killing. Yeah, serial killers, women, is not something that we associate with Ireland. But certainly when Irish women get abroad, Leanne, some of them seem quite proficient at it, shall we say. Well, yeah, and this is one of the one of the cases that we, we talk about in the book. Lizzie Halliday was a, was a woman who we came across her, first of all, in a, a prison register and it just said murder beside her name. And we thought, OK, well, we'll have a look and follow this up, see what, what this is all about. And we find this is a woman who had her own Wikipedia page, um, you know, notorious and infamous because she was the first woman in New York to be sentenced to death by the electric chair. Now, she ended up not being electrocuted. She actually was was sent to uh, what was then called an insane asylum, an insane asylum for the, the rest of her life. Um, but she had been found guilty of murdering two of her neighbours and her husband. Um, and Who one was, of, it, was it her sixth husband? Well, yes. <laughs> the, the suspicion was that there were quite a few other husbands before this who often were quite elderly and often met their death rather quickly after marrying Lizzie Halliday. Um, By what means do we know? Well, all sorts of all sorts of things that might might have been natural, but at the same time may well have been helped along by Lizzie's hand. Um, she'd been involved in a fire. She'd been involved in theft before all of this had happened. And one of the, the things I think that captured people's at- attention really at the time as well was that there was no obvious motive for these crimes. You know, she had she had, it wasn't for financial gain, um, you know, which was an often a, a quite common motive for, for murder. But she, she didn't seem to get anything from this. She didn't seem to have any grudge with these two neighbours. Um, and really, it seemed quite clear that, that Lizzie did have suffer from some quite severe mental illness during her trial. They, they watched her and watched how she behaved. And, and even when she went to the asylum, uh, things didn't end there. Because Why? What happened then? She, well, she ended up, um, she got very close to, to an attendant in the asylum, a woman called Nellie Wicks. And she decided she was going to leave and Lizzie didn't want her to leave. So she ended up stabbing her with a pair of scissors. So it's no wonder that the... And killed her. Yeah, she killed her. And she'd already attacked before this another attendant too. So we can see why the New York Times called her the worst woman in the world whenever she did die in 1918. Elaine, can you top that? Do you have anyone worse than Lizzie Halliday? Oh, I, I think she's the, right at that, that <laughs> top of the, the spectrum. Um, there's other cases um, of murder um, that we have uh, in the records as well. But there, there's um, a case of kidnapping too, that in a similar way to Lizzie Halliday, um, we just found a, a mention in a prison register and followed it up, you know, kind of thinking, oh, kidnapping, that's unusual. And most of our women are in for, for drunkenness and kind of petty crimes um, and found this entirely sensational case. Um, so is this woman, Carrie Jones, um, who in 1899 hit the headlines in New York, accused of um, ha- having kidnapped her charge, um, a little toddler. Um, and it caused a media frenzy um, across 10 days until 
um, a postmistress up in upstate um, New York uh, noticed a child in the company of a woman and noticed the resemblance between this child and the photographs of the missing Marion Clark that she had seen in the newspapers. Um, And the woman was arrested. The child was taken. Um, But then, adding more mystery to the story, this woman that was arrested was not Carrie Jones. Um, So the police are trying to unravel this case of how did this other woman now get hold of of the missing child? Um, And what they realised was that there was a couple. So Jenny and James Arthur Wilson, um, the names that they went by, all of these were aliases. um, So Carrie said that they were essentially the masterminds behind the whole thing. They had placed an ad in the newspaper um, for Carrie to get a job. They had... um, had had the whole kind of plan and um, premeditated and it was for money. So they had been hoping that uh, they would get ransom, not realising that the, the couple, that Marion's parents would actually go to the police um, and that this would become such a frenzy um, in New York. Of course, there were, Leanne, so many Irish people went to the United States in the 19th century before the famine and then because of the famine running all the way up to the end of the century. And it would seem that maybe because of extreme poverty, or enormous numbers ended up living lives of crime and particularly with women prostitution. Sometimes by choice, but often very much forced upon them as well. Yes, and, and we see one of the unusual things about Irish emigration in the 19th century is the fact that there are large numbers of women who travel on their own and often very young women travelling on their own and that's different from other European countries. So a lot of these women are arriving without families, without support networks, they're, they're on their own and that does make them vulnerable. Vulnerable to all sorts of, of, of things happening to them, of, of not being able to find uh, somewhere to live. Um, and there were lots of tales and lots of concern at the time that particularly whenever young women would land in ports like New York, people would come in and say, come on, come here, we'll find you somewhere to live. And of course, they would be lured into to brothels or into to kind of, you know, unsafe places. And there definitely is some truth behind that that as well, that we've got some examples of women where that happens too. We've also got then examples of women who are making active choices to be involved in sex work. And we've also got some young women clearly who, you know, it's a way of making money and a way of making quick money. And, and you know, it has been, other stories have said as well, probably all for all the remittances, all the money that women sent back to Ireland, probably a good chunk of that was was coming from sex work, although probably families back in Ireland had, had no idea that that's where it was coming from. I'm unimaginable to them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then also as well, it seems that, Elaine, there was an enormous amount of women ended up in prison. And the prison population that mm. you detail in the United States in the 19th century seems to have been overwhelmingly Irish, mm. but as much for women as for men. Yes. So when we were trawling the records, we were convinced that we were going to find Irish women, but we were not expecting the numbers that we actually found. Like particularly, you've mentioned the the famine as well, particularly in the 1850s, 1860s, we can see the prison populations being so dominated um, by Irish women. Like in the 1860s, we have in one prison, we've got 86 percent of the prison population is Irish women in New York, you know, and you kind of think, how is that um, possible? And even in some cases, we have Irish women numerically outnumbering Irish men in prison, which is 
just unheard of that there would be more Irish women in prison than Irish men. But it's just the, I suppose, the the poverty. They're arriving to um, um, North America with very little money. They're ending up being charged with these kind of petty theft or they're ending up being charged um, with drunkenness because they're all, you know, very visible on the streets as well. Yeah, and that's why I'm going to ask you to engage maybe in a little bit of supposition here, something we can't prove, but... Was it much a product of their environment or would these women have behaved, you think, in a similar way back in Ireland if they'd stayed in Ireland? I, my guess would be that it's to do with their environment. So these are women who are leaving their home places. They might not have left their villages or towns or, or cities for some of them before. And now they're being put into these cities that are the largest in the world with no relatives and also with no kind of supervision. So when we're thinking, OK, some of these women are victims, but there's a lot of agents here. And now this is their first time away from home. They have that kind of freedom to do whatever they want. And um, they have some of them are getting jobs. They have kind of disposable income. And they're in America where there's also this kind of growth of leisure pursuits as well. So, you know, there's the kind of the fairs and um, there's the cafes, there's uh, the dances. And, and there's nobody kind of saying, oh, don't do that. There's none of that kind of twitching curtains that they're they might have experienced when they were in Ireland. Leanne, what prompted you to start this work and has it gone as you'd have expected? Well, Elaine and I had both been working on Irish women in Ireland. Um, Elaine was looking at crime and I was looking at sexuality and kind of unbeknownst to each other, we would both, Elaine had been started to look at Irish women in Boston and I was interested in Irish women in New York and we were sort of trying to think what, what was happening. Were the same things that we were seeing in terms of what was happening with Irish women in Ireland were those things happening in in America as well? Um, and when we had a conversation about it, we thought, hold on, you know, we're we're both doing this work. Can we come together and can we can we broaden this out? We added Toronto into the to the mix as well. Um, and at that point, then this this sort of project and the Bad Bridget project really began and sort of took off. And I think, as Elaine had mentioned, we were sure that Irish women would be committing crimes. We were sure that we would find them in the records. But again, we were surprised at the numbers. We were surprised at the range of crimes. Um, and I think that when we started, you know, we had planned, we had, we had some, we had funding from um, a research council in the UK and we were, we were going to write an academic book. But when we did the podcast as well and we realised there was a huge interest and a huge public interest in these stories and really people got really engaged with it that at that point we thought, well, you know, we'll, we'll write a book and try and get these stories out a bit more and out into the, to the general public. And here we are. And there are some <laughs> terrific stories in there. The book is called Bad Bridget, Crime, Mayhem and the Lives of Irish Emigrant Women. And of course, there's also the Bad Bridget podcast series as well to hear. Dr Elaine Farrell, Dr Leanne McCormick, thank you both so much for being with us here on The Last Word of Today FM. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today FM.